This podcast of Central Indiana Today is brought to you by Figment 2 McDonald's. Stop by any of their stores in Avon, Brownsburg, Danville, Speedway, and 10th Street, next to Ben Davis High School, for great specials, including the two for $2.50 and two for $5. They also have all-day breakfast items, which now include biscuits and McGriddles. And coming soon to the Danville location, Wednesdays will be family night. Figment 2 McDonald's is a proud supporter of Central Indiana Today and WYRZ 98.9. Hello, this is Kevin Kersey of the Kevin Kersey Agency. The Kevin Kersey Insurance Agency, a member of the Farmers Insurance Group, can help you with your home, life, auto, or business needs. We are located at 701 North Green Street in Brownsburg, and our phone number is 317-286-3481. We can also be found on Facebook at the Kevin Kersey Agency or at our website, www.farmersagent.com forward slash kkersey. Indiana Family Dentistry is located at 505 North Green Street in Brownsburg. Dr. Will Hine practices general and cosmetic dentistry with services ranging from veneers and whitening to implants and complete smile restorations. Indiana Family Dentistry's phone number is 852-5999 and website is infamilydentistry.com. Indiana Family Dentistry is a proud supporter of Hendricks County and Community Radio. This is Donald James of Impact Youth Mentoring. Impact Youth is a not-for-profit mentoring organization providing mentoring services to the children of Hendricks County. We pair mentors ages 16 and older with youth in Hendricks County. Over the past five years, we have been able to impact over 120 children through our mentoring and tutoring programs. Information about becoming a mentor or finding a mentor for a child can be found at impactyouthmentoring.org or via email at impactyouth1010 at gmail.com. The UPS Store Brownsburg is located at 124 East Northfield Drive in Brownsburg. Their phone number is 858-1422. The UPS Store Brownsburg can handle your printing needs, including color, large format, and business cards. They also do blueprints, mailers, and invitations. Thanks to owner Tom Reese and all the folks at the UPS Store Brownsburg for supporting community radio in Hendricks County. The Kevin Kersey Agency presents Central Indiana Today on 98.9 WYRZ. Today's program is made possible by the Kevin Kersey Agency, 701 North Green Street in Brownsburg. And now here's your host, Rob Kendall. Welcome into to another edition of Central Indiana Today here on 98.9 WYRZ. I'm Rob Kendall. Thanks for joining us on the program today, the presidential election in the books, and it was an election like we've never seen before. All sorts of craziness, and one of the huge influencing factors in the outcome of the election was these anonymous or third-party media sources, such as WikiLeaks and 4chan and Reddit, and the information that they brought to the forefront, anonymous information that they brought to the forefront, sort of displacing the more traditional uh, media. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that today. I wanted to explore sort of how these groups came about, their influence in, in politics, and whether this was an anomaly or it will continue. And so with this today, a guy I thought this guy would be perfect to, to tell us about this. He was one of the original moderators for the 4chan website. He's a technology guru, and he's, I'm sure he's going to use a lot of phrases. I have no idea what he's talking about. His name is James Neese. James, how are you? I'm all right. Okay, so tell us a little bit about your background in technology, because uh, I was kidding with Shane. I said, you could probably wipe my life away with like a stroke of a, a computer keyboard, right? You, 
I mean, it's, it just depends what you want to do. We can just do a bunch of things. We could, uh, we can deface your Facebook. It's, we can just go hard if we want to. But you have a traditional background. You're actually mm-hmm. involved in in uh, helping kids now through technology. Tell us a little bit about what you do. Um, I'm director of IT at Carpe Diem Innovative Schools. There's about three schools here in Indianapolis. So we're in Shadeland, uh, Northwest, and at Meridian. Um, it's a almost 100% virtual technology. Um, curriculum that we give those students so everything is done through like a bdi system everything's done through cloud servers and a whole bunch of stuff that makes the learning experience more streamlined for them so it's not as a you know the students just go into one classroom to another classroom to another classroom we kind of give them desk with a learning portal to get access and then you need math uh, math courses science courses and they're able to learn at their own pace so these kids are the traditionally what they might call at risk kids is that right um, I, I would say like uh, most of them would be, and this is for students. Uh, it's free education. We allow them to attend for free, and these, uh, as most charter schools tend to be, is we take people that might have low income. We have people that are at risk sometimes. Some people just want a different learning environment. So there's like a mix of different student body types right in there. So we've set the stage here. I did this because you know technology. You know what's going on now. You know traditional technology that you're putting your – it's like being a superhero. You're putting your powers for good there. But you also know the this traditional, this less traditional third party or anonymous source. Uh, you were one of the original founders of 4chan, which was very big in the presidential election this year mm-hmm. in terms of disseminating information. Tell us a little bit about sort of what 4chan was and how you guys sort of got that off the ground. Um, originally, when it started, like I said, it was a. Uh it was a divergent from 2CH, which was an anime board. Since there's a lot of teenagers, a lot of young adults that like to watch anime, they decided that we can post on a board. This was back in the day, like when AOL maybe was oh, still yeah, big like in early, MySpace. Early 2000s. And, right, sure. Um, so what, what happened is like he wanted an American board. So a guy named Moot decided to make an American board. He had a guy named WT Snacks involved in the administration team. Then kind of hired moderators, just kind of moderate the board, just kind of clean the content down a bit. And but but the cool the cool or interesting thing about 4chan is it is a an, it is anonymous, so people can post whatever they want in there, and it really allows people to disseminate information. Um, it's the wild west, right? I mean, it it eventually became a groundswell type movement. I mean, what what it was originally was mainly for it was an image board for cartoons anime uh, Japanese culture but we started adding more boards random boards invasion boards so as it slowly became a groundswell there, there was things that people decided we, we can do raids you know it started with like prank calls or going on to on- online games where we just kind of disrupt the game you know like Habo Hotel was a great one where it was free and you can kind of create characters and we just block pools in there because people like to it's kind of like a real life simulator so when people get in the pool, we just snap characters the, the slides, so they're stuck in there forever. So you guys are out there just having fun on the internet. It's basically harmless stuff. It's like co- college pranks for internet, right? Yeah, Then, but it eventually became very political. Like uh, around the time uh, the Scientology Church, when Tom Cruise did his whole Oprah jumping on the couch sure, thing. Sure, yep. Uh, you know, we looked at Scientology and said, like, L. Ron Hubbard's writings and what the church does. And eventually it's just like, why don't we just mess with these guys? Because they take <laughs> themselves really seriously. So there's, like, full-scale protests. You know, it's where you see the... Um, how would I put it? The the Guy Fox mask that some protesters wear to certain protests. 
that was when he started as like we call him an epic fail guy as opposed to you know Guy Fox because they don't want to identify themselves yeah. and that sort of thing if you're going to protest you should be out there so I set the stage for this because you know about the traditional side as well as this mm-hmm. new we'll call it new media for lack of a better term and this is the first year we saw in a daily thing the WikiLeaks thing coming out by the way I want to ask you because you're familiar with this what where do you think WikiLeaks came from who was WikiLeaks or, or was it a group of people that were WikiLeaks um, it's it's definitely a network of people. It's not just one isolated contact. It's, it's not, not that it's not, four. It's not yeah. that four hundred pound guy that Trump alluded to in a bedroom. No, like it's usually like they, they hide off in IRC networks, and there's usually like 30, 40, 50 people that kind of disseminate the information. People like to think, well, it's just Julian Assange, or it's just just one dude in Serbia that's kind of doing this. Um, no, it's it's usually like 30, 40, 50, 60, however many people want to get involved in this little project to kind of disseminate the information, decode the information, and kind of push it out. So we can have anywhere from like five people working on something, like 30 people. And you know, it's that's that's what makes it interesting is because they always try to paint it on like one figurehead, but it's such a decentralized movement that there's really no figurehead. You really can't track who's who that's posting this information. Good, our guest is James Neeson. We're talking today about the role the new media, about the role that anonymous media played in the presidential um, election. So why why did it take so long? Obviously, the Internet's been around since since uh, Clinton was in office. And as you said, that you guys were doing this 4chan stuff um, b- back in the early 2000s when Bush was in office. But this is really the first time that anonymous media has helped shape a presidential election. Why did it take so long for this, this sort of thing to happen? I mean, it's... For one, it's always been kind of around. I mean, back in the Usenet boards, I mean, I'm going back to like the 80s and 90s when the internet was basically a dial-up connection on an old compact that could barely run and function on right. Windows 95. We always had Usenet boards. We always had forums that people would always discuss things that are not discussed in the mainstream. Like, you, you know, like we could just use like pot legalization. Well, it was barely mentioned in the mainstream besides just a few political quips. You know, there's large discussion boards talking about this. There's activists involved in Hundreds that. of thousands of yeah. people doing this. And I, I believe that the reason it kind of comes to the forefront is a generational shift. Like the the boomers and Generation Xers are such a, you know, we'll, we'll watch Fox News, we'll watch CNN. We might even go to like ATRT. We might go to Al Jazeera to get our information. But when you're talking about millennials that have thousands of like devices they can connect anywhere they want to go, have access to anywhere they want to go on the Internet, you have, you know, these alternative web websites that kind of have information. And you have just groups and blogs that people talk about issues that are not normally talked about. So I think it's just a generational shift where the information is coming from. Like people like in their 20s will get their information differently than people in their 40s or 50s right. or 60s. Uh, do you believe – how much does Drudge factor in this? Because, of course, Drudge was groundbreaking. He broke the Lewinsky story. That was twenty almost 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. But he was really the guy that served as the hub to get the WikiLeaks info out. How important was Drudge in this whole thing? Um, it might be important enough that he might mysteriously kill himself, you know. So <laughs> he might meet an untimely end, right? As many people are on the Clintons. Do. Um, I I, th- I think especially these alternative news sites. I mean, even like Infowars. Even if you just kind of get past Alex Jones raining conspiracy theories, like there's there's a point to these where there's issues that are not being talked about on the mainstream. Like there's certain things that CNN doesn't want to talk about. There's certain things Fox doesn't want to talk about. And like when WikiLeaks hit, they barely touched on that. Besides, right. it's just a hack. So they never disseminated the information. So what's important when a story breaks is to actually disseminate it. And the issue with the mainstream media is that we don't see them as journalists anymore. We see them as mostly pundits or op-ed columnists. So when I turn on CNN or I turn on Fox News or I turn on any of these major network news stations, I'm not getting information. I'm getting like a headline 
and then five people on a panel's opinion about the headline, not just the facts. Let me ask you this. Does it anger people like you that you, you see these major news corporations like Fox News and CNN that have this ability to actually do good and provide information, uh, legitimate information, whether it be good or bad about specific candidates, but they choose to be uh, political and push an agenda. Is that sort of why all this has, has started and taken hold? I mean, I, I'm not angry about it. The, the I just understand that as CNN and Fox, I mean, they're shareholders. They have corporate needs. They have profit you know, motives. So when I'm trying to push a profit motive into a, like a journalistic setting, I'm promoting things that I know people will watch, they will click on my links, that will go through the process of getting me money. So, you know, I don't see them as journalists anymore. I see them as more like an information entertainment sort of machine where, you know, we get Bill O'Reilly on there or we get like a John Stewart on The Daily Show where it's like, okay, there's news headlines you know, but you're basically just entertaining your base at this point. It's just like, you know, those silly commies or those, uh, you know, <laughs> whatever he wants to talk about, you know, calling people communists on air. And it's just a matter of just riling up a base. So they pay subscription fees. They're like, yes. so, you know, I'm, I'm not angry at it. I just think that it's, it's illegitimate at this point. Okay, so the 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 private the anonymous information seemed for the vast majority to be focused on anti Clinton. And you're a good libertarian. You've ran as a libertarian for public office before. Mm-hmm. Would you describe the political leanings of a lot of these people as that you associate with on these forum boards? Are they mostly libertarian people? Would you say? I'd say there's like a lot of non affiliation. I mean, there's people that will you know if I look in the message boards, there's people identifying all across the spectrum that are not mainstream spectrum there's these alt writers there's far left people there's national socialists in some cases there's libertarians there's anarchists there's dialectics that just don't pick and choose where they want to go um for for me it's if i were to say like you know if there's any broad political spectrum for it i would just say it's everywhere it's it's I, what people I ask this because 90% or 95% maybe of this coverage, this, these leaks, this anonymous stuff, was anti-Clinton. And I'm curious why that was because there had to be stuff on Trump, right? I, I think what it comes down to is if we, we're looking at Trump and it's so – the the mainstream media is just doing a job of just tearing him down anyway. It's just basically anything that – Trump did, we're going to bring it up. Is there is there a rape scandal here? Is there like a bankruptcy scandal here? The mainstream media was covering that 100%. For Clinton, and especially her husband and her people she surrounds herself with, which was Clinton's main issue was the people she surrounded herself with. That was the beef, right? Yeah. It was the Podestas and the people yeah. like that. And these people are, you know, 20, 30-year Washington insiders. These people have dealings with, you know, this foreign nation, this foreign nation. So when you look at it from, like, an objective view, if I were to crusade against corruption, I'm not going to crusade against a guy that says mean things over the airwaves. I'm going to crusade against someone that's sending a million dollars here. Where do this million dollars go? Or where do these emails go? I'm crusading against someone that's making a point to obfuscate what's going on in her like you know daily personal dealings with other people and especially when you know you're you're surrounding yourself with people that have a lot of controversy around themselves anyway like huma has a lot of controversy right um podesta had a lot of controversy her husband had a lot of controversy i mean there, there's his uh, from 1992 onward it was a scandal after scandal after scandal i mean they didn't really indict him about anything besides the monica Lewinsky issue and the uh what was it perjury i believe yeah absolutely but you know it's we're dealing with someone that was a prior president that's married to a prior president 
uh, so these scandals kind of come up. You're coming fresh off Obama as well. So there's a lot of scandal with Obama, a lot of failed campaign promises, a lot of things that why is he doing this if he ran against us? I think the bombings of like hospitals in, you know, Israel or Palestine or sure. bombing in, you know, Yemen and stuff. So is a lot of it then the fact that, and I've said this for a long time, um, and obviously I play in the the mainstream, so I gotta I've gotta be a little bit more politically correct about what I say, is that Trump never spent anybody else's money. He's a private business guy. Anything he did was of his own accord. It was his own failures or successes. People that gave him money did so willingly, whereas the Clintons are using public money, the public interest, but national security. Is that why there is there was such a difference that any Trump failings were on his own and the people that willingly associated with him, the Clintons were, were the federal government? I mean, no, I, I, I don't think so much it's where the funding's coming from. I think it's more of a... just who they are is like a character like how they dealt with things in the past um you know when i look at trump and i look at clinton you know she had this aura of dishonesty and like she, she could not shed that and like she tried hard to shed that through multiple things like trying to appeal to you know crowds and stuff but you know you go back through her history and say like, this is what happened here this is what happened here this is what happened with bill these emails come out these weird excuses that kind of came out all the time these fbi and you know investigations that kind of went on through you know her uh, campaign going up to the general election um i'm not saying like you know people that are outside the mainstream dislike liberals uh, it's just they, they come off as more disingenuous than what trump would or somewhat conservatives do and when we look at what how like a liberal has functioned in you know this election cycle the last election cycle it kind of sees like you know, especially with what happened with Bernie at the, the, the primary, with you know him getting like shut out of the primary, is they're telling you one thing. I think she, she said it best in one of her emails. You know, I, I've got a public opinion and a private opinion. So a lot of people feel that about the Democratic Party. You know, like, is there a public opinion? Is there and is also there a private opinion? You know, are you saying like you know you're going to make education free, then run off to George Soros and be like you know this is what we're really going to do? We're going to increase interest rates on the loans. Sure. You know, there's a lot of issue with that with you know the Democratic Party, and I think you have to shed that um, aura that they have around them with this two faced sort of. Uh, public opinion. Again, our guest is James Neese. We're talking about this uh, anonymous media that was so influential in the uh, presidential election this year, including 4chan and and uh, Reddit, as well as WikiLeaks. Um, okay, so going forward, is WikiLeaks, is Reddit, is 4chan, is it now part of, uh, for lack of a better term, maybe the mainstream? Are, are these groups going to be influencing public policy going forward? Well, we, we call it meme power. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I mean, everybody's seen the Pepe's. Everybody's seen the multiple Pepe's. I mean, Pepe was a meme on 4chan like years before. This is the became, frog. Yeah, the frog. It was a meme. It was a children's cartoon that a guy, a cartoonist would draw. It was like a frog, a rabbit, a moose, you know. It was just some random comic that 4chan found like years ago. And it was just like, hey, this frog looks weird. We should make it a meme. Because we, we, we'd call them forced memes. We'd find like something weird and we'd kind of like post them over and over and over again and they sort of just become an iconic thing you know we had Millhouse at one time and people were posting Millhouse so we had a meme basically called Millhouse is not a meme so as we created these you know little tidbits of like visual information that kind of get pushed out you know and we go back to Pepe and it was basically just a uh, we because he had a frown it was called it feels bad man you know so <laughs> you have to post this it feels bad man 
And you know, and, and you guys post the frog. The frog gets posted when things come out, when when things are revealed. It's sort of like the symbol, for lack of a better. It's like Batman putting the them putting the Batman logo up in the sky. It's the symbol for when something has been done, when the anonymous media, when this anonymous world has been successful, right? I mean, it, we just we just flood it on the internet. I mean, it's just there's no rhyme or reason to it it just gets flooded and i think why it became a thing with the alt-right and why it became a, a symbol like the trump presidency on on you know social media with these pepes was uh because it like, feels bad man you know they're posting it as like you know results are right. coming in like early early on in this campaign but as they started like surging in the states it kind of feels bad man to like you know these bad ombre these <laughs> deplorable memes and just Exploded, you and know. you guys probably like Trump a little bit because he's sort of a real internet troll, isn't he? Um, it's just the commentary. There's just people that just that don't care about his policy. They just like because he says mean things, and that's <laughs> that's it, a terrible it, it indo- indoctrination on society, isn't it? Oh, it's, it, it's for them. You know, these people that follow him in that manner. It's not about what he's going to do when he's president. It's just how. How how bad he's gonna talk down to everybody else, and you know people want that. You know, just this alpha male. Let me just berate you for you know just how stupid you're being. Okay, so let me ask you this: because if you're inside the Clinton camp, this seemed to be very easy for people to get all the information from them. Are you surprised that it was that easy, or is our is our government as a whole is it that easy to to hack into to the United States government? Uh, I would say it's actually pretty easy. Um, you know, for Clinton's issue is because she surrounds herself with so many people, like hundreds of staffers here and there, it's like, are you, are you really vetting anybody or are you just picking people just because they'll say they'll do it? So when I think her leaks, you know, she blamed it on Russian hackers, which I'll, 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 if I go into how hacking works, that's you can't pinpoint it like that. Like let's use a case of uh, give the, us a high level because you're so you, people are going to hear this and they're going to let's let's try to dumb it down for someone like okay. me. Okay, how does hacking work? For she thinks her servers were hacked because they're private, and the only way you can tell what that is called a correlation attack. Like there's there was a case in Harvard where a student made a bomb threat to Harvard University using Harvard's network, so they couldn't really pinpoint it, but they understood he used a Tor network. So they looked between like you know twenty one hundred hours to twenty two hundred hours who was on the Tor network, and it whittled them down to like three people. So it became really easy to find them. You know, but if you went to like a McDonald's Wi-Fi and scrubbed his MAC address and just used like a throwaway computer, they would never caught this dude. So if you judge it by that metric, that if I go to like a McDonald's or a Starbucks, I just use a crap laptop, you know, and toss it away after that. And I just make bomb threats on Twitter. They'll never find me because they don't know where it's coming from on the Wi-Fi. I can stand outside. You know, there's thousands of people that go to McDonald's, or Starbucks a day. Sure, they'll never find me. So we use that same principle that people are using Tor networks, proxy networks, spoofing IP addresses. You don't even know what's Russia. They might see an IP address and says, oh, it looks like it's coming from like Obersk. You know, and it's just like, do you, is, is he really from Obersk? It could be some guy in like Iowa. It could be somebody in Canada. It was just, in my opinion, a convenient way of saying like, we have really terrible security practices, so we'll pin it on somebody that's politically expedient for right, us. Right, sure. The Russians, you know, those, those silly, silly commies. You know, we, we blame <laughs> it on those. You know, and that's just the... I just feel like that was just her way and her campaign's way of diffusing it by putting it on the blame of someone that, you know, these older generation people might remember, like, the Cold War and say, oh, yeah, I could totally see them doing it. How did they do it? If you were to take a guess how they, they broached – let's do two things. Let's let's first say how did they breach the Clinton server in in, uh, in Chappaqua? I don't think it was breached. 
I think it was what's called social engineering, and that's usually people getting information they shouldn't have by just requesting it. I think that because her staff was so large and she had multiple people accessing at any given time, that people just let information fly. You know, information here, information. Is here, it like a password or something? You think or no? Um, I I really think that it was somebody that had access to the server that save files somewhere or sent files over unsecured channels or basically just let someone else have access to it. So you yeah. don't think there was some big international thing to get there. You think it was just laziness and sloppiness. Yeah. You know, if I worked with like multiple networks and I would say 95% of the time any IT security fell is not because there's some guy on the outside trying to hack into it. It's because we have like 500 employees and we might leave like, you know, we might fire an IT guy and leave his administrator password open and people have access to that or people share passwords. Right. And not having a control and containment system for like where passwords are, who has access to information leads to leaks, you know? So it, sometimes it is people just brute forcing their way into like your servers, but more often than not, it's just people having way more access than what they should have. Do you believe a guy like Guccifer who came out and said, I got in, or is he just uh, is he like uh, just creating publicity for himself? I would say he's creating publicity. Um, he might have, have the information, but he didn't. I don't think he broke in himself. Right. I think he was in these IRC networks and someone, you know, from a Clinton campaign dispersed information. Someone got a hold of the information downloaded into like you know a uh, a dropbox or something like right. our file and just basically like here look guys look what i got luck more than skill yeah okay so podesta becomes a central character he was the chief of staff mm -hmm. for the the clinton campaign um how do you think they got his emails was it a similar thing or was it this what they call phishing I, what, what happened with him is because this is, this is bad it security practice as well is when people were getting access to the email like i said it was probably through just too much access granted to too many people uh, Podesta had a bad habit of emailing his passwords to himself, and he had a bad habit <laughs> because of, he would forget. Or yeah, he he would just he would email passwords to other staff members, email passwords to himself. So you know, instead of like uh, encrypting these passwords and having them stored somewhere, like you know, when you encrypt something, you can take someone to like hundreds of years to crack those to like a. a um, a brute force system. Now, now, help me understand this because you're far more advanced in this than I am. Why wouldn't he just like write it down on a piece of paper and stick it in a desk or something? Because <laughs> I think deep down, like he thought nobody would get access to it and laziness. And, it's laziness and arrogance. And just being like, you know, nothing's going to happen. It's the thought that nothing's going to happen. So when people got access to a couple emails, he kind of scanned it and be like, like, oh, man, dude, he's got, like, nine passwords here to, like, nine different accounts. And that's how his Twitter account got jacked is he wrote these down, emailed them to himself in plain text that anybody could have access to if he got access to his original email, which he emailed his own password to other people as well. <laughs> so it's like for him, it's it's for, for me and the IT, you know, the business, is that's the worst possible thing you could do. In fact, I would fire people for that. If, like, you're emailing clear text passwords to databases and – administrator accounts just anywhere across the email i mean like yeah if you want some like temporary password you know like blah 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 hello one two three and it gets changed the moment someone logs on and it has like a two hour inactivity window that's fine because they'll log on and change it and that's even kind of shaky but to have permanent password you're just kind of sending out like here's this one here's this one here's this one it's like you like you, 
there's no company. Apple would fire you. Microsoft would fire you. Any company out here would fire you. And these people wanted to lead the free world. Yeah. yeah. Again, our guest is James Neese uh, talking today about uh, about cybersecurity. We're talking about uh, the rise of this new anonymous media that was so influential in the presidential election. We've got about five minutes left here, James. I want to ask you, because you you delve into this stuff and you, you know this stuff so well, are you worried about our security as a nation? Because they keep saying the next attack is not going to be a nuclear weapon. It's going to be a cyber attack. How secure are we as a country if our leaders like this are getting hacked in their in their private lives? I mean, I have stories, but I, I can't tell you these stories because they involve agencies. But uh, I, I will say like on a general basis, how, how easy it is to get access to some of this stuff is... A lot of people um, that run these offices where servers are located, where like network cables and all the IT stuff that's sure. in the back room, they're run by everyday people. Yeah. I mean, for social engineering, like, you know, let's say I call a government agency, the people at the front desk are probably making $10 an hour. You know, they're minimum wage almost to right. that point. They're just there the nine to five to get paid. They don't really care as much as, you know, they just don't get fired. So, you know, sometimes it's just as easy as picking up a phone and getting these people that don't really care about their jobs to give me more access than what I should. Like, can I go back here? I'm like a janitor or something. I'm here to clean. I, I think... Uh, it, and, and so, so let's stop that for a second because that's very alarming. You could literally do that and that would give you, someone like you who knows, thankfully you use your power for good, but somebody who knows what they're doing, that could that could help you do this. Oh, yeah. Like there's a... Yeah, the, there was a security company that the people hire out to basically break into places. You know, just how... how weak as our security and this was a I think it was somewhere in like New York or Ohio where there's like a major power grip to the United States like a massive you know like thousands of connections go through here every day and so they hired this company like they hopped the fence like they called like the secretary and they said like they're from like blah 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 Comcast they're here to check the modem because sometimes the internet has issues and the lady at the front desk is the secretary she doesn't know what's going on back there she's like oh yeah it's definitely slow let's have the Comcast guy back in there so now you have a hacker in there that's basically putting root kits and all your stuff and but these people like would hop the fence they'd break into the doors no security system there and that's a lot of your government infrastructure and the weakest link in all your government infrastructure is not how people can access it from the outside it's how easily we can access it from the inside and so getting in there is not that hard because again you're dealing with everyday people nine to five they just want to go home you always hear that when people get caught that the government will make a deal with them that we will not prosecute you or we will make sure you don't go to jail if you teach us what we're doing wrong um technology is changing so fast is it possible for an entity as big and clunky and inefficient as the federal government to keep up with with guys who can do this sort of stuff no, because, I mean, you can keep up to date what the newest software is, what the newest uh, threats are, like the heart bleeds, you know, like where, where that where that came from. You can keep up with that on, like, information security channels. But, again, it's always going to be a personnel issue that's going to be your weakest link. So, knowing that going in, like, I can have all the tools and all the um, training and all the information I need to stop these outside security threats. But, you know, if I have a janitor that leaves the door unlocked, then what what what's good is that? So I think the government hasn't learned that specifically, you know, like we have to lock things down more often or maybe centralize it for like a guarded facility. And the thing with the government agencies, there's so many that use their own servers, you know, there can't be a top down comprehensive security policy. You know, the SBA works different from the EPA, the EPA is different from the DEA, they have their own servers, their own domains, their own logins. It's so bloated that it's almost impossible to keep track who's getting access to what. I mean, there's like what? Trump's doing like 4,000 appointments. There's 4,000 right. agencies out of that. Like, There's no way that you can manage that centrally down from 
bottom up for like what staff has access to where things are and again it just comes down to laziness and it comes down to improper training of people on the lower levels of a corporation not training your um secretary not training your janitor how, how to deal with these threats because it's like why, why does he need to know he just mops the floors i'm like well he has a master key <laughs> to everything <Yeah. laughs> James, uh, thank you so much for taking time to tell us about this. It's it's a fascinating a fascinating world, and, and you've lived in it, and you know it, and, and you're so knowledgeable on this. So thank you very much for taking some time to tell us all about it all today. Right, no problem. Hey, don't forget, if you missed any part of our conversation today, you can listen to a podcast anytime you want. We're now on SoundCloud and iTunes. You can download the show right to your smartphone or tablet. Go back and listen anytime you want. You can also listen uh, on the website at wyrz.org. Until next time, I'm Rob Kendall saying have yourself a great evening. You've been listening to the Kevin Kersey Agency presents Central Indiana Today on 98.9 WYRZ. Made possible by the Kevin Kersey Agency, 701 North Green Street in Brownsburg. An archive of today's program can be heard at our website, wyrz.org. Tune in next time for another edition of the Kevin Kersey Agency presents Central Indiana Today with your host, Rob Kendall. This podcast of Central Indiana Today is brought to you by Figment 2 McDonald's. Stop by any of their stores in Avon, Brownsburg, Danville, Speedway, and 10th Street, next to Ben Davis High School, for great specials, including the two for $2.50 and two for $5. They also have all-day breakfast items, which now include biscuits and McGriddles. And coming soon to the Danville location, Wednesdays will be family night. Figment 2 McDonald's is a proud supporter of Central Indiana Today and WYRZ 98.9. Hello, this is Kevin Kersey. Since 1968, our family has been helping customers with their insurance needs. We provide insurance coverage for life, home, auto, and recreational vehicles. We are located at 701 North Green Street in Brownsburg, and our phone number is 317-286-3481. The Kevin Kersey Agency can also be found on Facebook at The Kevin Kersey Agency or at our website, www.farmersagent.com forward slash kkersey. The Kevin Kersey Agency is a proud member of the Farmers Insurance Group. The UPS Store Brownsburg is located at 124 East Northfield Drive in Brownsburg. Their phone number is 858-1422. The UPS Store Brownsburg can handle your printing needs, including color, large format, and business cards. They also do blueprints, mailers, and invitations. Thanks to owner Tom Reese and all the folks at the UPS Store Brownsburg for supporting community radio in Hendricks County. This is Donald James of Impact Youth Mentoring. Impact Youth is a not-for-profit mentoring organization providing mentoring services to the children of Hendricks County. We pair mentors ages 16 and older with youth in Hendricks County. Over the past five years, we have been able to impact over 120 children through our mentoring and tutoring programs. Information about becoming a mentor or finding a mentor for a child can be found at impactyouthmentoring.org or via email at impactyouth1010 at gmail.com. Indiana Family Dentistry is located at 505 North Green Street in Brownsburg. Dr. Will Hine practices general and cosmetic dentistry with services ranging from veneers and whitening to implants and complete smile restorations. Indiana Family Dentistry's phone number is 852-5999 and website is infamilydentistry.com. Indiana Family Dentistry is a proud supporter of Hendricks County and Community Radio.